Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. We are so excited that you are joining us for the show today. This podcast aims to explore a biblical life view in a conversational tone. Let's join our host and founder of Servants of Grace, Dave Jenkins, for today's episode. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome back to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this podcast. And with me today, I have Charlie Wingard. Charlie, welcome to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. Uh, it's so good to be with you, Dave. I really appreciate you giving me an uh, opportunity to uh, uh, share about what the Lord is uh, doing uh, in my life and allow me to uh, maybe contribute uh, to the lives of those who are listening to the podcast. Wonderful, brother. Wonderful. Well, hey, uh, sir, can you uh, tell us a little bit about your life, marriage, ministry, and what are you working on ministry project-wise? Uh, sure. Um, I was born in 1957. I was adopted into a Christian family. Uh, I, I, they were, were uh, very devout uh, throughout my uh, childhood and teenage years. We had morning and evening devotions. Uh, I, I went to church regularly, and I really can't remember a time in my life where I haven't known Christ as my uh, Lord and Savior. And uh, since I was 14 years old, I uh, I uh, recognized that God was calling me to ministry. Uh, after I graduated from college, a few weeks later, I took my first church in rural Tennessee as a as a um, student pastor, and then later that summer, added three more, uh, and that became uh, the parish that I served uh, during uh, my first 10, 15 months out of college. Uh, then, when I enrolled in seminary, I uh, pastored churches for two and a half years and obtained invaluable experience there. I'm just so grateful for the people that welcomed me into their lives and uh, gave me the opportunity to serve them as a student pastor. Uh, since my ordination, I've uh, served uh, five churches. Uh, in 2013, I had a, a stroke, and uh, during the time I was recovering, I had an offer to teach at RTS Jackson, and my wife and I discussed that. We decided that uh, uh, perhaps the best use of whatever remaining time I have left in ministry would be for both of us to invest our lives in those that are preparing for ministry. Uh, I came here at the start of uh, 2014. Uh, within uh, a year, I was uh, missing pastoral ministry, thoroughly uh, happy with my work at RTS. But um, a church in Yazoo City, Mississippi, uh, called me uh, in uh, 2015 to be their uh, senior pastor. And I like to tell people that I'm in my the fourth year my honeymoon uh, there in Yazoo City. The church has just been so um, kind and welcoming to us. Uh, we cherish every friendship we have there. Uh, I, I, my wife's name is Lynn. She has spectacular hosting gifts. Uh, she looks upon her uh, primary ministry as supporting what I do. Uh, she also uh, works in the uh, communications office at uh, the seminary. But she invests her lives in, in, in relationships with uh, seminary uh, wives and also with the uh, wonderful women that are part of my congregation in Yazoo City. Our four children are gone. Uh, we have uh, three grandchildren. Uh, right now I'm uh, uh, teaching an intensive class of leadership and design and I'll be teaching another class in just a few more uh, weeks, and uh, that's what I'm up to right now. Oh, that's wonderful! It's great to great to hear about your uh, your experience and uh, what the Lord is up to in your life and ministry. So, thank you for sharing. You're welcome. Can you uh, please tell us about your book, Help for the New Pastor, Practical Advice for Your First Year of Ministry? Why did you write this book, and how how has it been received? Uh, the feedback I've gotten so far has been good. They gave out uh, 12,500 copies of it at the Together for the Gospel conference uh, last year, and I was very appreciative for that. My boss, Ligon Duncan, was responsible for that, and I'm indebted to him for his kindness. Uh, the, uh, what I want out of that book is first students to be prepared for their first year of ministry. Now, I hope they're doing really well after 5, 10, 20 years in ministry, but I believe that that first year uh, in the ministry is a make-or-break year uh, for most uh, ministers. Many become unhappy and they leave because their expectations weren't realistic or 
their training was inadequate. And I want to try to address those um, issues in my book. I, I really want uh, every one of the students that I teach to love pastoral ministry as much as I do. I never wake up in the morning wishing I was doing something else. And I want uh, uh, my uh, students to have that same love uh, for ministry. Mm-hmm. So I want to help uh, pastors get ready for that first year. And in this book, I concentrate on four areas, uh, preaching, pastoral care, administration, and self and family care. There's so many other things uh, that I could cover, but I want uh, young ministers to cover, uh, uh, concentrate on those four. I think if they can do those four things well, uh, then uh, they'll be off to a good start in a lifetime of ministry. Mm, wonderful, wonderful. Uh, what advice would you give to our male listeners who are sensing a call to ministry and perhaps uh, may even have had some confirmation of a call to ministry from their pastors and elders? Uh, well, the, I would want to begin by making sure that they've considered what the office of minister is. You know, the minister has a number of uh, titles in the uh, Bible. Uh, he's an elder. That means he has mature, godly character. He's an overseer. That means he skillfully administers the work of the church. He's a herald of God, uh, declaring the word of our great King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's also a shepherd uh, that gathers, nourishes uh, the, the church through the feeding of the word and a teacher uh, of God's word. I want that uh, to be clear in the minds of my students. And then I would also want uh, my students and anybody that's listening uh, to this podcast to know that there are trials that come in ministry. I'm always reminded of um, uh, John the Baptist. Uh, the fourth gospel says there was a man sent from God. His name was John. Uh, and John would never have survived uh, in his work had he not been thoroughly convinced that God had uh, sent him first to the wilderness, which could not have been a pleasant place to be, and then uh, to confront uh, uh, the adulterers, Herod and Herodias, people that held the power of life and death over him, and uh, he would have crumbled um, in uh, a prison had he not been convinced uh, that God had sent him. So the thing that I want to uh, tell to young men that are thinking about ministry is that you must be persuaded that God has sent you uh, to the church that you're called to serve. He sent you to your, your very first church. As a matter of fact, from before the foundation of the world, he's prepared that church uh, to receive your ministry. Uh, when I uh, think about calling, I want men to take a good look at their interior lives and ask tough questions. Uh, am I compelled to preach? Can I say with Paul, woe is me if I preach not the gospel? To have the minister's character that's described in 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, 1 Peter 5. Um, I want people to ask honestly, do I have the necessary skills and intellect uh, for ministry? And I want uh, people uh, to ask themselves, do I have a love uh, for, for people? If you don't love people, God's precious church, then the ministry is not a place for you. Now, it's 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 great to go down that checklist and believe that you meet those qualifications, but that doesn't complete a call for ministry. There has to come a call from the church. The church has to be able to look down those same criteria and say, we see that in you. You also want your professors to see uh, those qualities and character in you. And then you want your fellow elders, those are going to serve with you in your church and your broader church, uh, you want them to be able to uh, look and uh, say, yes, uh, we confirm what you're saying about yourself. So there's an internal and an external part uh, to our calling. That's well said. Um, uh, when I was in Southern Idaho, I, I asked uh, my one of, one of the pastors who I was working closely with, I said, you know, he knew that I wanted to go into pastoral ministry and, and you know, he encouraged me in that, but I, I had asked him the question, I said, and, and I asked him this question several times, but there there was one time when he said, right now, I don't think that you should apply. Well, why is that? And he told me, you know, um, and, and, you know, then I would ask him, you know, maybe some months later or six months or so later, you know, give it time. And, you know, how am I doing in that area? Do you think I can apply? And he would say, yes. You know, not that there was anything necessarily disqualifying in my life, but, but, uh, he, he was concerned enough about it that he wanted me to, to, 
keep growing and, and wanted to see that, wanted to see me growing. And, and I think for if that's um, your desire to be in, in pastoral ministry, that that's a noble task, Paul says, and that's to be commended. But but uh, are you going to ask your pastor, you know, and you should know your pastor. If that's your desire to be in pastoral ministry, you should know your pastor. You're, you're, and your pastor should know that you're called to ministry. And, and then as you guys get to know one another, you should ask him, do you think that I'm actually ready to be in pastoral ministry and ready to apply? Well, you had a great um, uh, gift, uh, Dave, uh, in having a pastor who was willing to talk openly and honestly about you or to you about your uh, readiness for ministry. Yes, he's a he's a great blessing and an encouragement. I, I call him my big brother. Um, even though we're not blood related, we are we're brothers in Christ, and we consider ourselves actual brothers. So he's a, well, that's a, a wonderful testimony. Yes, he's a wonderful encouragement to me. He's he's helped me more than more than anybody else. Uh, <laughs> here I am. I'm going to gush about him a little bit. He's helped me more than just about anybody in my life. So I'm, I'm very thankful for him. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Yes, indeed. How important is theological education for pastoral ministry or any kind of ministry at all? Well, for pastoral ministry, the type of ministry I know best, I, I think it's absolutely essential. Uh, I, I'm not saying that God couldn't uh, uh, call and equip people for ministry apart from seminary. He certainly does that. I can think of examples in church history of uh, great men of God. Uh, but I think ordinarily, men need a place to come to uh, where they can uh, learn Greek and Hebrew, uh, reading the Greek and Hebrew uh, uh, texts of Scripture. That's the foundation of all pastoral ministry. Uh, 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 men need a, a comprehensive biblical and theological education, and a good seminary can provide that. Most students, I don't think, uh, come anymore from homes where they were catechized as a child. Some do, but not many have had that blessing. And, and, and we can't assume any longer uh, that uh, young men went to Sunday school, attended morning and evening worship where they heard two expository sermons on Sunday, or that they attended the Wednesday night Bible study. So for many students, they're making up uh, in their uh, learning at seminary, they're learning things that they really should have learned earlier in life in the home, but in many places that's just not occurring. And they also need to be at seminary, uh, at a seminary where professors are distinguished not just by their learning, but by holiness of life and pastoral experience. I'll echo Ligon Duncan. I think he puts it a little bit differently, but he says the world is becoming increasingly complicated and uh, ministers, uh, they need more training not less. Well said. I know, I know just uh, writing and editing and doing podcasts, you know, which I, I didn't go to school for really. Um, I've, I've had to learn from other people and just, just being uh, willing to learn um, is, 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 it shows a humble teachable spirit, which is so important for uh, ministry in general, whether that's pastoral ministry or just any kind of ministry at all. Um, Indeed. So, so. What advice would you give to a new pastor who's just starting out preaching his first few sermons to his new congregation? Uh, uh, that can be a dawning uh, uh, challenge to a young man, and uh, what I do during the time they uh, are with me here at the seminary is I um, uh, uh, ask them to consider a preaching model in which they preach expository uh, sermons through books of the Bible, and I encourage them to start uh, that right when they arrive uh, at their first uh, church. I um, tell them that they might find it easier to get their feet wet by teaching through one of the shorter Pauline epistles. I think those can be easier to work with than some of the other uh, books in the Bible. Uh, But then we have to think about the disciplines that they're going to have to uh, take uh, to their first church in order to have a successful pulpit ministry. So I encourage them to put prep time on the calendar and when they uh, sit down to work on a sermon to eliminate distractions, uh, uh, turn off your Wi-Fi connection, uh, turn off your... uh, 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 phone, uh, those things that uh, tend to distract us and take our minds away from the critically important task at hand. I also tell uh, the young men that I work with, at the very beginning of the week, as they start to prepare their sermon, they should begin to craft a homiletical outline. You want to do that because as you do your research throughout the week, uh, consult the Hebrew and the Greek, as you work with your various uh, uh, commentaries and other tools, you always want to remember that uh, what is most important is that sermon that you're going to deliver on uh, on Sunday morning. You want to make sure that you have the end in view. And to do that, I encourage people to start it on their homiletical outline very early 
in the week. And now with seminarians, uh, there's a lot of learning that goes on here, uh, and I encourage uh, students not to show up there learning uh, in the pulpit. I want them to uh, use clear and accessible language. I want uh, them to learn uh, at seminary and then uh, in their uh, first church how to appeal to the consciences of men and women, uh, how to plead with them uh, uh, to be reconciled to God in Christ and live a life that's pleasing to Him. I want the congregation to see their uh, minister's earnestness, that the uh, minister is transparent in his concern for their spiritual well-being. Uh, so those are some of the things I think that, can, uh, that I want uh, ministers to keep in mind as they start uh, preaching at their first church. I also think it's helpful to get feedback from your congregation. Uh, in my first uh, church, I uh, handed out uh, three by five index cards on on, on uh, index cards to a few members every week, and um, on those index cards were three questions. Uh, they were simple: What was the main point of the sermon? Uh, uh, what uh, did you find beneficial from the sermon? And then uh, what? Uh, that wasn't helpful to you. And I remember the first time I got my cards back, I think I'd given out five of them, and there were uh, five different answers about what my main point was. And that was a signal to me that I wasn't clear. And uh, then there were bad habits that I brought into the pulpit. They noted those down. I wasn't even aware of them. And so I listened to my congregation, and over time, uh, they were uh, so, such wonderful partners in helping me to become a, a better uh, a preacher. Uh, so I think it's helpful to get good feedback from your congregation. Mm, that's really good. I remember when I preached the seminary sermon, and I call that the sermon when you, you know you have to preach when you get a Master of Divinity, usually, and up, up for your preaching class. So I, I had preached that, and I did I did well, according to everybody who heard it. But my pastor before, at the time, he said, you need to love the people with the word. And that's always just stuck with me because of what you said earlier. It's not just, uh, you don't want them just to um, dump information, um, all their learning, but you want them to love people and, and to communicate truth in a loving way that will help them. Yeah, I think that's uh, a very accurate. Uh, there are, are, are some men that uh, really are intellectual gifted, they have wonderful teaching gifts, and they look uh, to the church as an opportunity to exercise those gifts. But they'll never uh, bring about a lasting spiritual fruit unless uh, you, you conduct your ministry with uh, with uh, a desire to love those people, not only from the pulpit, but as you administer to them uh, pastoral care. And if you lack that love, uh, no matter how powerful your, your words are, uh, they're going to fall short of uh, what we want to see happen as the Word of God's faithfully preached. Can I? I'll be. I'll be honest here. I, I've had to learn this uh, gr- graduating seminary, so I can say um, to to seminarians now, seven years after graduating, to uh, to start now. You know, start start uh, start trying to communicate what you're learning and do and do that now um, because it'll help you and 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 focus on just communicating to people how how you want to be communicated to. You know, that's just that's right. You know. Um, that's helped me just to realize. I mean, that that helps me in writing, helps me in speaking. Um, so anyway, yeah, we want people's feedback, and uh, one of the things that can cause us to uh, push people away is to become t- defensive when they offer us feedback. We need to welcome it, be profusely thankful, and uh, receive it with grace. Mm, well said. Well, what would you? I know this book isn't directed at the seasoned pastor, but but maybe there's a seasoned pastor listening to this, and they they uh, or maybe they. Wonder uh, how how the, can they grow um, in, in their ability to preach? What would you say to that? Well, my advice would be precisely what I said to the um, new pastor: focus on the things that I just mentioned. I don't succumb to the temptation to take shortcuts in your sermon preparation uh, 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 as you uh, preach more frequently and as the years go by it might be easier for you uh, to uh, pull a sermon together but you don't want to shortcut uh, the, the preparation that's necessary for a clear exposition. Uh, you don't want uh, to sacrifice appeals to conscience or earnestness and you still want to get the feedback uh, from your, your congregation. I'm uh, in my 60s now, early 60s, and I uh, still get helpful feedback uh, from 
my congregation, and uh, I just think that that's a vital part of a long and fruitful ministry. That's well said, brother. What What are some things to keep in mind when dealing with conflict in the church? Well, first of all, just be realistic. Uh, it's going to come. There's no church without conflict. There's no relationship without conflict. And there are even advantages to conflict uh, when we're in conflict. Uh, uh, per, our personal sins are exposed. It, it lays bare our heart. Oftentimes, we're, we, we discover that we're bitter, resentful, unforgiving, and I say, that's wonderful. Now, uh, confess that to the Lord and repent. Also, uh, conflict reveals our limitations. We find out we don't have all the facts. We find out that sometimes our preliminary judgments are poor judgments. Uh, so our uh, limitations are, are revealed. Of course, we know from church history that uh, doctrinal controversies can lead to clarification and clear statement of the truth. And um, I was talking to my students uh, today that where church discipline is uh, exercised, uh, corrected discipline, there's always conflict involved. But uh, by God's grace, many times it leads to the restoration of uh, people that um, have um, have uh, fallen into deep sin. Um, I told my class today that there's some musts that you must do in the middle of, in the midst of controversy, and that's to look over over to uh, learn to overlook as much as you can. Uh, not every slight uh, is intended to harm you, and uh, not every time someone says something unkind to you, you need to uh, re- respond. I, I like Proverbs nineteen eleven. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Um, if you're in conflict with someone. You want to pray for that person comprehensively. You just don't want to pray that the problem between you and that person goes away. You want to pray for the total person, for his family relationships, for his relationship at work, for his relationship with the Lord, uh, for his growing in grace. Uh, If he has health problems, you want to pray for those things. And uh, it helps us to put uh, our problems into perspective uh, by looking at the people we're in conflict with as total human beings that are in need of the same grace of God uh, that we are. Uh, Now, I've borrowed this from someone, and I'm not sure who I did, but I also think it's important in our relationships within the congregation uh, to make sure that for every time that we have to speak to talk about something that's uh, uh, going to potentially uh, 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 disrupt a relationship or something that might not want to be heard, we want to make sure for every one time we do that, five times we speak to that person and encourage um, them. So we want our uh, the tenor of our relationships to be marked by encouraging words. You want to measure your words in advance, the effect they're going to have on other people. I think it's imperative never to use an email to try to resolve conflict. It's um, just not a technology that lends itself uh, to that. You can't see facial expressions. Uh, you can't hear tone of voice. Uh, you can't ask clarifying questions. I just don't think it's helpful. And, uh, and uh, the last thing that I uh, think that is important for ministers to do uh, is to uh, to serve everyone in their congregation, even though they might be in conflict with them. Be there for them uh, when there's a death in the family. Be there when they're having problems with a rebellious child. Teach their kids in Sunday school or Christian uh, school. Congratulate them upon uh, the successes, and that'll help put whatever the problem is in a broader context. And I'll have to say that I've seen that practice toward me. I've uh, worked on sessions where we've had to work through some very divisive issues. Could have divided the church, the session, but it didn't. And one of the things that kept me having a proper perspective about my elders is um, they uh, visited me when I was sick. They encouraged me when I was discouraged. Uh, When I had a problem with a child, uh, they were there to offer uh, their help. I think when we serve and are served by others, that that helps to diminish the uh, potential for dividing conflict. Mm, That is really well said. I, you know, what, what you said was something that I learned um, probably about five or six years ago. And there was a difficult man in the Bible study I was leading that I actually had started at my previous church in Idaho. And, you know, he, he fought against just about everything that I said. And uh, finally, my pastor said, pray for him and, and do exactly what you did. What did God do? He, he changed my heart towards this man. Uh, whenever whenever there is a difficult person to be dealt with, uh, <laughs> 
I have to look in the mirror because that difficult person starts with me. Um, and that was, uh, I knew that, I knew that intellectually, but in uh, practice, I, I, I didn't experientially. And the practice of just praying for somebody when I'm having a hard time with them, that, that was huge, a, a big game changer for me. It helped me to slow down, to be more patient, to be more gracious, loving, caring, all the things that you just said so well. I, I just echo that and give a hearty amen. So thank you. Thank you. So what are what are some proper guidelines for pastors and church members to keep in mind as they engage in hospital or hospice care ministry? Well, let's talk about hospitals first. Uh, uh, if it's a, an emergency, somebody's been rushed to an emergency room, uh, what I tell student pastors is they have to get up and go. Uh, they can't uh, put that off. They need to get to the emergency room uh, when they uh, walk in. They need to uh, say to um, uh, who, uh, whatever other family or friends are there, hey, I've heard that um, uh, Lisa's been taken to the hospital. What's, uh, what, what's her condition? And uh, just let them uh, uh, talk uh, uh, if it's... Um, uh, something that's uh, resulted in a fatality, uh, then you want to um, sit with the family. Uh, there are appropriate rooms for that in most hospitals, and just sit with them. Uh, uh, they're going to uh, have grief. Uh, you don't don't feel the need to say anything. Be ready to hand them Kleenex. Uh, keep them uh, 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 keep them as comfortable as you possibly can. Uh, there'll come the time when uh, you want to pray with them. It, uh, we want to um, weep with those. Who we that's uh, that's uh, something we should do, but at the same time uh, we uh, don't want uh, uh, to lose our poise and act as if um, God has lost control. We're there to assure people of, uh, that we can trust in our all-sufficient God, and so uh, pray with the fa- family. Uh, it, uh, sometimes, if someone's been back, taken back in the emergency room and it's uh, not critical, uh, the family will want you to come back. And visit with the uh, with the person. You want to keep those visits very very short, just a couple of minutes. Uh, express your concern. Uh, uh, share a verse of scripture, only a verse, and then pray for them. So that's uh, things to keep in mind when uh, there's an emergency and someone's rushed to the hospital. On routine hospital visits, I advise both pastors and church members. Um, I, I, I talk to my congregation about this. Visit only during visiting hours. Don't be a nuisance. People are there and they need to rest. Don't cut into that. Don't cut into your uh, members' rest. Don't cut into the rest of others. Uh, knock before you enter the room so people can adjust their uh, covers and be ready for you to come in. Ask permission to enter the room. I encourage uh, my student pastors not to camp out in a hospital room. Long visits exhaust the person that's in the hospital, and we should not be doing that. Uh, there's a, a, a man, a, a, a wonderful minister here in Jackson, Mississippi, Brister Ware at uh, First Presbyterian Church in Jackson, and uh, I, I, since the 1980s, he's been there, uh, a pastor of um, pastoral care, and he has uh, this bit of advice. He says, when you go beside someone's bed in the hospital, rest all of your weight on one foot, and then when you have to uh, 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 go to the other foot uh, because your foot's become so fatigued, then that's the time to leave. Uh, so uh, make sure that you don't stay long. I uh, very seldom will stay more than five or ten minutes. Uh, I tell my students, uh, we, we're preachers, we've got strong, loud voices, but in the hospital, you want to keep your voice down. You want your voice to soothe. You need to listen uh, to what the patient is saying. Focus on the patient. Uh, uh, don't um, uh, don't start talking about yourself. Uh, don't um, tell them a story about a time when you were in the hospital. Uh, the, the, the visit to the hospital is not about you, but about the patient and ministering God's grace to them. Uh, you listen to them carefully uh, as they speak to you, express their concern, their fears, their joys, whatever they uh, share with you. Then choose an appropriate verse or two. Uh, read uh, that scripture to them and uh, pray. Uh, uh, pray keeping in mind that you want to uh, 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 that you want your prayers to address whatever's been shared with you by the patient and at the same time you want to pray for uh, grace uh, to trust in God whose grace is always sufficient for believers um, uh, and, um, when you're visiting people that are on, that are in hospice 
care. Uh, there are a number of things you want to do. Uh, 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 you want to make sure uh, that you have a talk to people about the gospel, uh, even if they've walked many years with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For their good, you want to uh, hear them. Uh, you, they, you want them to, uh, them to hear themselves again, confessing that their hope of salvation is in the substitutionary work of Christ and in his imputed righteousness. You want them to say that uh, for their own comfort, and if they uh, can't say that, you want them to come to that point of saving faith. So talk about the gospel. Uh, then when you're uh, doing hospice visitation, and this is probably something that uh, would be reserved for pastors or elders, uh, you do want to talk about, you, you may be asked to talk about end-of-life issues, um, like accepting or refusing treatments. Uh, and, and, and that can be a very uh, daunting task uh, uh, for a, a young minister or even a minister with many years of experience. Um, I have my candidates uh, for ministry uh, take a look at four books that I found very helpful. Uh, Jack Davis's uh, Evangelical Ethics, Gilbert Melander's Bioethics, A Primer for Christians, David Van Droon in Bioethics and the Christian Life, and Bill Davis, Departing in Peace. I think these are thoughtful presentations. And uh, if I'm stumped by a question, then I uh, call another minister and try to uh, get uh, advice from him or, or somebody that might uh, work with the hospital that has insight into these issues. Um, you want to make sure the person has a will. Uh, so many controversies occur after a funeral because there haven't been made clear a clear disposition of the uh, deceased person's assets. You want to explain to them, if it's necessary, why that will is so important and why it needs to be up to date. I like to talk with people in hospice care about their relationships. Are there any relationships that are strained that we need to pray about and work for rec reconciliation? Uh, uh, let's do that. I want to tell them that I'm available to work toward that goal. And I ask them if they're, uh, they're family members that aren't saved and uh, they want to see me give special attention to those family members. They may be coming in from another place to visit. Uh, I want to be available to help that person uh, talk to their fa fellow family members about Christ or uh, to do that uh, for them as the need arises. So those are just some of the things I keep in mind when I do hospital visitation and hospice uh, visitation. Mm, that is really, really helpful um, counsel. Thank you for sharing. What, what are some of the best ways of dealing with cha challenging counseling cases in ministry? Uh, yeah, uh, this is a, a, a huge one. Uh, 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 people will immediately start coming uh, to the uh, new pastor wanting help. And what I uh, tell my students as I prepare them for their first year of ministry is that no pastor is omnicompetent. Uh, no pastor is uh, competent uh, to provide counsel in every area of life. And for the new pastor, uh, uh, they have to recognize that they uh, lack experience and not to try uh, to do more than what they're able to do with the training and experience that they have. Uh, there are some things uh, even now that um, I, I'm always working with um, other counselors with. I make referrals and uh, take uh, take advantage of available counselors. When I'm counseling people with substance abuse, addictive behaviors, mental illnesses, uh, uh, if people are using psychotropic prescriptions, I, uh, I, I uh, enlist the help of uh, godly and competent counselors who deal with these uh, types of uh, 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 very painful issues with people uh, uh, on a far more frequent basis than I do. I can benefit from their wisdom, their experience, and uh, expertise. And if you're working with a good counselor, uh, a, a Christian counselor, then they'll want to be your partner in helping to incorporate that person into the body of Christ so that they can experience the full blessings of fellowship with Christ Church. Uh, so I want uh, people to recognize their uh, limitations, uh, but at the same time, I want them uh, uh, to counsel with confidence. 
confidence. You're a shepherd. You can be praying for people. Uh, uh, I encourage people to find, define counseling broadly. You can do counseling from the pulpit, preaching and uh, teaching. Uh, you can deal with life issues uh, from, from the pulpit. Know your strengths. When I started as a minister, I was strong at helping people with personal finances and job searches. And uh, so um, I uh, work with people in those areas with some effectiveness. Uh, I encourage my students to be lifelong learners. Um, read as much as you can in the area of counseling. Um, learn to listen to your members patiently. Uh, uh, be fair with people. Uh, uh, make sure you hear all sides of, uh, of, of a sort story, if that's possible, before you administer the advice uh, in a counseling session. Recognize that some people come to the pastor for guidance or not for guidance, uh, but they're coming to recruit an ally. Uh, being right is more important to them uh, than their own personal sanctification, and you have to be aware of that kind of person. Uh, uh, expect disappointment. Uh, uh, others, people are going to disappoint you. You think your counseling's going in a great direction, and then uh, things fall apart. And sometimes you're going to disappoint yourself. Uh, as time goes by, you just think, well, I didn't give the best advice I could have. Uh, I could have dealt with uh, this more effectively. That's simply a part of life, a part of our finitude, a part of gaining experience. And the last thing I want uh, my students to understand is that some situations are impervious to change. A gospel-hardened spouse, chronic depression, a wayward child, some of these are impervious to change, and you have to be able to live with that and to trust in God's providence. So those are things that are important to me when I talk to my students about counseling. Mm, that's really well said. Uh, what is your best advice to pastors and ministry leaders on conducting their first funeral? Uh, I, uh, the, the moment you arrive at a, a, a church, you want to um, uh, make sure that you're teaching people about a biblical view of death, the origin uh, of sin in the world, the judgment that came with that, uh, 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 the, the, the fact that we live under a common curse where uh, everyone is subject uh, uh, to disease, to decay, uh, uh, to death, and you want to talk with them also about the intermediate state, uh, what's going to happen when a person dies, uh, their soul uh, goes immediately into the presence of the Lord, their body in the grave. Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You want to talk with them about that. You want to teach about heaven and hell. Uh, yeah, you want people to be able to uh, face death with the understanding uh, that they belong to Jesus Christ, body and soul. But that teaching has to be done before the time of trial, because as many people have observed, it's uh, almost impossible uh, to teach theology while someone is grieving. Now, to my uh, uh, to a pastor that's just moved to a community, he's new to the ministry, I suggest that he uh, sit down with the, uh, 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 the funeral home director of the funeral home that's most frequently used by members of his congregation and just learn about uh, how funerals are handled in uh, his community. Talk with your elders about that. Just get a sense of uh, what's involved in a funeral. Uh, when somebody, you're informed that somebody has died, go immediately to the family. Pray with them. Read scripture. Comfort them. Uh, sometimes families start uh, talking about things like obituaries, service times, how do you get a grave opened at the uh, a cemetery. They're uh, bringing up issues of death certificates. It's important for a new pastor to know that these are things that you partner with the funeral director, and he'll help the family uh, through with those uh, uh, issues. Um, you want to plan the funeral with the family. Uh, at some point, you sit down with them. Uh, you want to keep in mind the goals of the funeral, to honor God, to honor uh, his son, who's the resurrection of the life and the life. You want to show respect at a funeral for the human body. You want to remember and give thanks for the life of the deceased, to comfort the grieving. You want to offer Christ to unbelievers and deepen resurrection hope. Uh, these are the things you want to uh, accomplish. And so um, I asked the family uh, uh, what are, are, are special hymns that meant uh, something uh, special to the deceased or would be a blessing to you. Uh, what are some of the scriptures that uh, your family member looked to comfort and you are? And uh, what are some of the reminiscences you have about uh, uh, this uh, dear loved one who's now uh, gone? Uh, and uh, I, 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 I work uh, through those things with the family and I come up with a structure for the, the funeral service. 
new ministers are concerned. What am I going to do? Uh, this one that's died, they're not a, they're not a believer. But uh, that funeral, you can still honor the Lord uh, by uh, uh, sharing the gospel of believing family would want that. And at the same time, you can give thanks uh, for the many uh, things that that uh, deceased person probably did uh, for the benefit of the family, remembering their love and care. Uh, when you get to a graveside, uh, at least in the southern United States, uh, we still have graveside services. And uh, if uh, that's not been a part of a, a new uh, pastor's uh, tradition, I just tell them to get a traditional order of worship that has a graveside service. They're very short, and that should be uh, very um, helpful to him in leading a graveside service. I don't want uh, the young minister to forget about the family after the funeral. You know, after uh, after uh, the service, after uh, friends have gone, family have returned home. Uh, that's when it often hit the, the spouse or the children that this family member is gone. And they go into grief and those support people have all left. Well, that's the time for you to step in and make sure that you're staying in regular contact and encouraging your elders to stay in contact to encourage uh, this family and to help them uh, get through that time. And then I try uh, with certain families where I know that this will be well received on the anniversaries of deaths of loved one. I get in touch with them. I know they're thinking about uh, that and it's painful and I want to offer to them my encouragement and, and, and support. I, I think it's so essential that uh, we think carefully and work hard uh, uh, for the benefit of our congregation in the times in which we're uh, leading funerals. That's well said. How important is it that pastors and ministry leaders continue to grow in the grace of God? Well, it's uh, it's absolutely essential. Uh, uh, sometimes you'll hear ministers talking about experiential preaching. Uh, uh, well, we want to uh, have experiential pastoring. Uh, if you're not uh, personally experiencing uh, the power of the doctrines you're proclaiming, uh, uh, then you're not going to, to be able to minister effectively. If you're not praying, uh, then how can you talk to someone else about prayer and do that with integrity? Uh, if, if in your times of suffering, you're not leaning on the Lord, trusting uh, on, on Him, uh, how in the world are you going to be able, again, with integrity to encourage others to do the same? Uh, you're going to encourage your people to confess and repent? Well, you have to be a person of confession and repentance. I, I, I'm always telling my students, uh, it's a real danger uh, to want to possess a reputation for holiness without possessing the reality. Uh, so it's essential that leaders continue to grow in grace. I like to call that uh, with other ministers experiential preaching and uh, indeed I think it's appropriate to call it experiential pastoring. Mm, that's wonderful. What are the some of the best practices that you get engaged in so that you can remain faithful and effective in ministry? Uh, just very traditional ones. I've always had uh, quiet times in the morning. I get up in the morning. First thing I do is have my quiet time. I read my Bible. I, I read it through once a year. I, I, I read it uh, through to be personally nourished and to pray over during that quiet time. I uh, pray for my own uh, sanctification. I, I uh, pray for my marriage, for my children, for my grandchildren. I, 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 uh, I, I have a little prayer book where I've divided up the members of my congregation. I pray for my entire congregation every week. Uh, so that's an essential part uh, for uh, me remaining faithful and effective in ministry. I also uh, take very seriously my uh, my teaching and pulpit preparation times, and so I guard those times and don't let other things crowd them out. I put them on my calendar and turn off other uh, anything that could distract me from that, like my uh, Wi-Fi or uh, my telephone, anything that can uh, beep in and cause me uh, to be distracted, I put those away. Mm, that's very helpful. Very helpful. Um, it seems to me like hospitality is a very neglected ministry in the church. How important is that pastors and ministry leaders open their homes and engage in hospitality? Well, um, I, I think it's um, it, it, it's essential. Uh, I like to uh, communicate um, to students in the church that uh, hospitality, it, it, it's the direct and personal act of lo love and care, uh, provision uh, given uh, to a Christian or non-Christian, uh, to strangers, to people we know. Uh, it, that's, it's, a, it's such a vital part of our Christian care. Uh, it, it, it's a, really a matter of life and death. Uh, all of us at one time, uh, uh, we were 
aliens to the covenant. We were uh, strangers to uh, God, orphans in the world. Uh, but God has uh, uh, adopted us and brought us into his household where he cares for us and he feeds us from his word and around his His table. So we're, we've experienced the hospitality of God. We're, we're told in, the, in Romans 14 to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. And so it, 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 it is a matter of life and death uh, that we uh, welcome uh, 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 one another to the church of Jesus Christ. There are some people who come to faith in Christ because their uh, a home has been opened to them. A family has given them care and encouragement. Uh, in the home, they've been brought to faith in Jesus Christ. And then there are people in our churches uh, that are just barely hanging on. And oftentimes it's our hospitality, including them around our table, extending our friendship uh, to them. <laughs> Uh, excuse me, Ex extending our friendship to them. Uh, uh, it, it's those things that uh, keep them from falling away from the church's care. Uh, with my um, young ministers, when we talk about hospitality, I uh, tell them it's very important that you agree with your spouse about what hospitality is going to look like. You can't impose your vision of hospitality upon your wife. And there's seasons uh, 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 during your life together where it's not uh, 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 possible to extend hospitality, uh, when your families are going through uh, grief or uh, through the birth of a newborn, uh, those can be times where it's uh, not possible uh, for you to open up your home uh, for hospitality. But that's really not all that important because you're trying to teach your uh, congregation how to do that, uh, how to uh, recruit people uh, and equip them to be hospitable. I remind my students they're often going to be taking churches where they live on shoestring budget. Uh, that hospitality doesn't have to be expensive. Uh, uh, you can have people over just for coffee and dessert and conversation. Uh, 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 my uh, wife, Lynn, and uh, uh, I are often uh, very, very busy, so we include our guests and set up and clean up. Uh, that builds camaraderie and makes it a team um, effort. Uh, and um, sometimes uh, when money's really tight, I'll encourage uh, students to ask their church to include it in the budget. Uh, in my churches, um, people have seen the benefits of our opening our home up uh, to others, both members of the church and people who are not. They've seen the benefits of that, and they've worked that into the budget to encourage us. Uh, hospitality is so essential. We are we worship a God who's welcomed us, a Savior who's welcomed us, and uh, we have to strategize, uh, recruit, uh, build strong churches that welcome one another in the name of Christ. Mm, wonderful. Well, Charlie, as we wrap up this conversation, uh, can you give our listeners a few takeaways that you would want them to have? Well, uh, for young ministers, I, I want, I, and I talk about this in my book, I, uh, I want them to remember small things that yield big results. Uh, welcome people as they arrive uh, to your church. Stand outside. If it's snowing, dress warmly. If it's raining, grab an umbrella. But greet people. Help them get into the church. Let them know that um, uh, that uh, that you're glad that they're there. You're representing your Savior who welcomes them. Make sure you're welcome to them. Uh, it's sincere. Oftentimes people share with me things as they're coming into the church. I always have a notebook and they share, well, I've got a job interview coming up. I've got a, a hospital appointment uh, coming up the next week. I write all these down into that little booklet and uh, then I call them uh, the night before so that I can encourage. Uh, I, I think it's important to shake people's hands on the way out. Let them know that you're so glad that they were assembled with God's people on that Lord's Day. I think it's important that um, ministers, even uh, older people like me, where it's sort of hard to do, that we squat down when a child comes up and look them in the eye and, uh, and um, welcome them. Tell them how glad we are they're there. Do the fist bump, shake their hands, whatever uh, is appropriate uh, to let children know that you're glad that they're a part of the church. You want people to know that, you want children to know that the pastor cares about them and is for them in Jesus Christ. I encourage uh, ministers to write notes and cards, thank people for gifts, thank people for kindnesses, congratulate people, tell people uh, that you see the uh, particular great 
graces in their lives and are uh, thankful to the Lord for that. Remember their birthdays and anniversaries. I think using NARC notes and cards is one of those small things that can be uh, lead to big results. I think it's important that ministers talk to strangers. I, I remember when my um, uh, in my um, first church as an ordained pastor back in the days when uh, UPS required signatures. There's this young man comes up to my uh, door to deliver the packages. There are many packages coming to my house, and he asked, what are these? Uh, I'm coming here so often. I said, well, I'm a pastor, and I buy books. I'm pastor over at the Faith Presbyterian Church. Um, uh, do you have a church home? And um, he, he said, no, I, I don't. Uh, my wife and I have discussed going to church, but we haven't. Well, uh, I said, well, why don't you visit us? You'll find a lot of people your age uh, there, and I, I, I would love to have you come be my guest next Sunday. He came. Uh, his wife came with him, and a few months later, uh, they made their professions of faith in Christ and were baptized. Just a conversation with a stranger. Uh, when you stand in a checkout line, don't look at your smartphone. Then talk to people, see if you can engage them. I think that that's an important thing a minister can do, a small thing that leads to big re results. See small bits of time. Um, if I have five minutes and I have nothing, I'm in my office between appointments, I just open up a book and keep on reading. Uh, don't waste the time surfing the, the net. Uh, read or write, prepare, because those small bits of time become hundreds of hours and then thousands of hours over the course of a ministry. Uh, so these are some of the things, uh, the small things that I think ministers can do uh, that will yield build big results in the church. Now, if there's one takeaway I think I would want people to go away with from this podcast is uh, it's just this thought. Uh, if you're called by God, uh, if you're adequately prepared, if you have a godly attitude uh, toward people, uh, you can have a lifelong and joy-filled ministry. And uh, that's what I want most for you. I want you to love the um, ministry as much, much as I do. Uh, I, I want your ministry to be filled with joy. I, I want you at the end of your life to look back over it and say, I couldn't imagine doing anything other than being a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Well, Charlie, I really have enjoyed our time together today. It's been very encouraging. Um, you've given us a lot, our listeners, a lot to, to think about, and it's all been wonderful. And what I especially appreciate is it's evident that uh, you you do truly love the Lord Jesus and you desire to help pastors, and that is just so wonderful and so needed. So God bless you, sir, for that. Well, and thank you. You've honored me by giving me the opportunity to share from the heart with your listeners, and I'm most grateful to you for that. Thank you, sir. Have a well, you take care. You too, sir. And the Lord be with you. And the Lord be with you too. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that you were encouraged by today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. For more uplifting and thought-provoking content, please visit us online at servantsofgrace.org. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Servants of Grace and on Facebook at facebook.com slash servantsofgrace. We hope you have a blessed day and we will see you next time.